Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined as always by David Lake. It's game week, folks. Miami traveling up to Chapel Hill this weekend to open up ACC play. It's a game that pits uh, Manny Diaz against his former boss in Mac Brown. Before we get to that, however, I just want to remind you guys to check out our website, Miami.247sports.com. If you guys like this podcast, I can assure you that you will like the content we provide every single day to your laptop or mobile device. Again, that's Miami.247sports.com. All right, David, before we dive into this whole uh, UNC game and really uh, preview it, I want to revisit something you wrote, uh, I guess, about like nine days ago about how Miami should possibly entertain the idea of kicking offense alignment DJ Scaife uh, from his guard spot out to tackle. You wrote this after Miami gave up 10 sacks to Florida and the offensive line really struggled. Question to you, I know it's been closed practices now that you've had some time to, I guess, digest and break down the film and, and all the analytical numbers. Are you still kind of feeling this way about Miami making a change to that starting five on the offensive line? I would certainly do it, you know, if I was the head coach of Miami. Um, I think, look, for me, it just comes down to this is a bottom line business. And the bottom line is that the offensive tackle play wasn't good enough against Florida. And North Carolina is still a power five team. Now, they're not Florida, of course, on the defensive front, but they're still a Power 5 team. They got plenty of juniors and seniors on the defensive line, some of which, to me, look like they could potentially be NFL-type guys. Um, So, yeah, I mean, look, I do think DJ Scaife ideally is a guard. There's no doubt about that. But last year, he showed the ability to play right tackle at a higher level than what we saw from John Campbell against Florida. I think... You know, I went through the numbers last year from Pro Football Focus. DJ Scaife's worst game last year, he allowed four quarterback pressures. I think that was against Duke. Um, And, you know, against Florida, John Campbell allowed seven pressures, which is far too many. And he was called for three penalties, I believe. Yeah, because two, two false starts and a hold, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just unacceptable. And, you know, I think we saw, too, during last last season that DJ Scaife, he did make some progress as the season moved on at right tackle, and he had a very strong performance against Virginia Tech, where he didn't allow a quarterback pressure in 38 pass-blocking snaps. So, you know, look, my whole thing with this freshman offensive tackle experiment is it's good, you know, it's fine to do it for the future. I get it. To develop those young guys, it's nice, but you can't do it at the expense of winning the game today. And I think if you and obviously that needs to be priority number one. So if Miami if Miami is looking to win the game today, I think they need to play DJ Scaife at right tackle. Well, the reason I bring this up and uh, it's just kind of, of some information I've received here really over the past 28, 48 hours. Um, I've heard and I don't know if this is true. I don't know if it's been going on all week in practices, but I've heard that they have been working Scaife at right tackle. And I've heard that the name to potentially watch at right guard is Ja'Kai Clark, the true freshman. Now, again, I don't know if this has been situational stuff. I just know that Ja'Kai Clark has been inserted into that that first-team unit at certain times. I mean, this could be an injury protocol type thing, but I know he's a guy that 
really impressed early in, in that preseason camp. I mean, he wasn't an early enrollee. I think he came in that, that summer B semester, but from right away, he was working as the second team guard. I can't recall if Butch Berry, the offensive line coach, really ever hyped him up, but for what it's worth, I've heard that's something to monitor uh, on Saturday night. I mean, I think they'll probably still go with the same, same starting five, but if John Campbell were to struggle or go down with an injury, I think the next logical move would be to move Scaife to right tackle and then bring uh, another true freshman in at right guard, meaning you would have Zion Nelson on the left side and Shakai Clark at right guard, and those are two true freshmen. Yeah, and I think that's fair, you know, to roll John Campbell or, or Zion Nelson, who knows, out, um, you know, in the first half, see how things go. Look, with this North Carolina style of defense, Miami's going to know fairly quickly if they're up to the challenge or not at offensive tackle in this game because <clears throat> North Carolina defensive coordinator Jay Bateman is also an aggressive defensive coordinator that will send plenty of blitzes and pressures. And, you know, it's pretty obvious after watching the, the Florida film, I'm sure he knows he can try and attack UM's young offensive tackles. So they're going to be put under fire early in that game. And if they don't stand up to that test, I do... I agree. I think we'll see DJ Scaife moved out there. I think it's interesting. Like, are you surprised that Ja'Kai Clark would be the guy considering, you know, they have guys like Zelante Hillary, who's more of a veteran. Uh, Usman Treor, who is, he's a new guy, but he's a Juco kind of guard that they brought in this summer. Are you surprised that it's Ja'Kai Clark? Do you find that concerning at all? What, what just, if, if they do move DJ to right tackle and, you know, elevate Jakai to that first team at right guard. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I, dude, I don't know what to think. I mean, I guess if I'm a Miami fan, what I really think is I look over on the opposing sideline on sa Saturday night and I go, Stacey Searles, man, what did you do to this offensive line room? I mean, you mentioned Zelante Hillary. Um, the fact that he's not cracked this starting lineup at this point, I mean, it's it's pretty much safe to say that We've reached bust status with him. Uh, Kylian Herbert, the same thing could be said about him. Uh, Zach Dykstra, I mean, I mean, where is he? So, yeah, and then, and then Tommy Kennedy, the graduate transfer, who we, who we thought might even be this team's left tackle, now isn't right. even in a situation where they're going to move a guy out to tackle. He can't even get reps at guard. It's just like, wow. I mean, the, the bottom half of that offensive line room, it just really has not – has not produced and it's not lived up to what, where we've had these kids ranks. I, I think I texted you on, on Wednesday night. I was like, yo, we had, we, I mean, 24 seven sports had Zelante Hillary just outside that top two, four, seven at, at two eighty three, And it's, he hasn't played a meaningful snap yet. And he's been on campus for three years. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not a good sign if they're going to roll a true freshman out there, but I do think they like Jakai. Um, I think it's, you know, like you said, he's been rolling with the second team at center this whole time, which and is, a, go ahead. You know, just to interject here, that, that uh, you know, that Gr Grayson program where he came out of in, um, in Georgia, I think they've had some offensive linemen that have come in and play pretty early. Like, I think it's a yeah. program that does a good job of, of coaching those guys up. I mean, not the ideal situation in any way, but I think Wanya Morris, uh, he went to Tennessee. He played pretty early. So, um, if you're one of those true believers that if a kid gets good high school coaching, it could lead to them playing early, this would be one of those situations. And with, 
with Jakai, I guess, um, remind us of just how his recruiting went. He was an Illinois flip. And then was like Auburn involved at all? Or am I imagining that? Uh, were they trying to flip him too? Or was it just Miami trying to flip him from Illinois at the end? No, he, he was a one-time Auburn commit, reopened okay. that recruitment. I think he ended up at Illinois, flipped to Miami. Uh, but again, it was kind of like a plan B slash C for Miami. I mean, this wasn't a guy who was on the board really from the start. It was kind of after they lost Michael Tarquin and, and Kingsley Yukujin, that's when they kind of really got involved with him. I think, too, just one thing that I'm curious about, too, is like, what does this mean for Cleveland Reed? Because he was a guy who I think they were somewhat optimistic about after the spring. And, you know, again, if Ja'Kai Clark goes in over Cleveland Reed, then that's obviously not a good sign for Cleveland. Absolutely not. I mean, it, he, too, I mean, he's another guy. It's like Under Armour All-American. This is the time when you should be really inserting yourself into the lineup. It's just like what's what's kind of happening. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, there's no doubt that you could make the argument that the biggest key to this game and to the rest of the season is the offensive line. So, you know, it's not the most fun position for fans to watch. But for this team, it's something you're going to have to watch closely against North Carolina. But I'm sure we'll kind of get into that now as we transition to uh, really our North Carolina preview. Uh, we like to start kind of with the quarterback breakdown. North Carolina expected to start a true freshman on Saturday night uh, by the name of Sam Howe. He led uh, a North Car- uh, an upset really in his first career start against South Carolina there in Charlotte. Um, if you watch that game, North Carolina really didn't ask him to do much from the jump, but when the game was on the line late in that fourth quarter, he did go four or five or 89 yards uh, and let a touchdown drive that proved to be the go-ahead score. Uh, David, your initial thoughts here on Sam Howe, former Elite 11 finalist, uh, former top 24-7 recruit, former Florida State commit, former quarterback that Mark Rick tried to go and get uh, when whenever knew they had zero chance doing that. Just kind of what do you think about, what do you think of him? So the The main thing that impressed me about Sam in that game is, you know, as you alluded to early in the game, he wasn't allowed to do much. It seemed he was he was handcuffed by the play calling and just what they wanted him to do. Um, But, you know, in the fourth quarter, they found themselves down by two scores and they opened it up and Sam played with poise. He really did a nice job throwing the deep like he attempted some fades, which is a low percentage throw, but he threw some beautiful balls with those fades. And I think pro football focus uh, had him charted as completing five of six on attempts of at least 20 yards through the air for 118 yards and two touchdowns. So that number should get your attention as a defensive coordinator because no defensive coordinator wants to allow explosive plays and that seems to be a strength of how. And so getting back to my point, what really impressed me was when he was down by two scores, he engineered touchdown drives of 98 yards and 95 yards to win the game. And that's big time. Uh, whether you're a freshman, whether you're a senior, that's what big time players do. And I think, you know, look, he still made some freshman mistakes, which we can get into a little later, but he showed that 
when it when it's time to step up and make plays, he has that ability. So he's a guy, even though he is a freshman, he needs to have the attention of this Miami defense. How about this stat for you? Third best passer rating out of any quarterback that played a power five defense in week uh, one slash week zero. I mean, I, I didn't yeah. even know that until, until I, I read that somewhere. I mean, he's a guy that uh, I think can, he's a gamer type quarterback. There's a reason all these schools wanted him. Uh, I thought when I had the chance to see him throw in the recruiting circuit, he was one of the better arms in that, uh, in that 2019 class. I'm not surprised to see him here. I'm a little surprised by that result in week one. Uh, but the one number that did kind of jump out to me is he was eight of nine passing on first down, uh, and seven of those, seven of those times he moved the change. So I think if Miami's able to take away those easy throws on the first and second down and force them, I know we say this, I said this about the Florida game, but force them into some third and longs. I think that's right. kind of where you want to be and it sounds easier than done i mean you can say this about any quarterback but i really think uh, on saturday night miami's gonna have uh to get them off script they're not gonna let it he can't have those easy throws i I think that negative plays are going to be at an all-time premium here for the hurricanes especially uh early in that game no i agree and look i mean you got to give sam credit too for i mean he went against south carolina and head coach will muschamp who is one of the best defensive minds in college football. Like he knows how to put together a sound defense. And Sam Howell beat him straight up. And, you know, look, he did uh, have two fumbles. I don't think they were lost by North Carolina. I think North Carolina recovered them, but he, he did have two fumbles. And there were like two or three passes that maybe should have been picked off that South Carolina didn't come away with. So... You know, while Sam certainly did look good and he did win the game for them, he also made some freshman mistakes, which is to be expected. It's going to be some growing pains there. Um, You know, I think just from a big picture standpoint, too, Andrew, it's kind of fun. It's going to be fun seeing Jaron and Sam go against each other as kind of two freshman quarterbacks. And really, like, you could argue. This game has big implications, not only for this year in the Coastal Division, but in the next couple of years, because you can kind of see with uh, two freshman quarterbacks with a lot of potential that both of these programs have a shot at really taking off. Probably one of the better, I would say, quarterback matchups on the on the national slate, I think. Yeah. I mean, I've gone game by game, but if you're like a quarterback, like, right. I don't know. No, I that, agree. It's going to be fun thing, to watch. Yeah. All right, let's shift to across the sideline. Uh, David, the player that Miami should be most concerned about Saturday is who? So I'm going to go. One guy who really popped to me when I was watching the game was uh, defensive tackle Aaron Crawford. Um, I believe he's ninety number 92. Um, I thought he just totally wrecked the game for South Carolina on the interior line of scrimmage. He, was, he finished the game with six tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack. He's a, so he's basically a nose tackle. So his, the, the main way he impacts the game is with, with run defense. But he did show he had some twitch to him. I felt like he did a good job of pushing the pocket uh, on passing downs. And, you know, I just think, look, the offensive line is going to be a question mark for Miami this whole year. 
They're going to be facing a pretty good-looking defensive tackle this week in Aaron Crawford. To me, I mean, he graded out pro football focus-wise as playing the best game of his career. He's a senior against South Carolina. He played the best game of his career, so maybe he's a guy where the light has come on this year. And, you know, older guys on the line of scrimmage, I think you should always be concerned about that, especially when they're going up against a young group on the offensive line like Miami has. So, to me, it's Aaron Crawford, uh, defensive tackle number 92. I think it'll be interesting to see how Miami handles him. Oh, we're giving out numbers now. I got to start. I got to start writing numbers down for my guys. <laughs> well, defense. I mean, I don't. I mean, that's. Yeah. Just, I don't. I didn't know who he was to be honest when I first yeah. turned on the game, but he popped to me, and I, I was like, "Man, who's number 92?" So me, my, the one, I, the guy I'm, I think my. Miami should be most concerned about with is also defensive lineman. I put down Tolman Fox. Um, yeah. who's I think he's kind of a stand-up rusher there on the edge. I guess you could list him as a defensive end. I actually remember when he uh, was coming out of high school, he uh, camped at Notre Dame. That's back when I was covering Notre Dame, like 2015. I bet he was a real twitchy guy. He wasn't the biggest kid. Now he's obviously added some size, but against South Carolina, he had a sack, two quarterback hurries. And I just think this kind of plays into, I guess, what's turned into the theme of this podcast, just Miami's offensive line. I mean, they're going to have to protect Jaron Williams. And I think Toman Fox is a guy who's going to be running at Zion Nelson or he's going to be running at uh, whoever that right tackle will be. Is it going to be John Campbell? Is it going to be DJ Scape? So I think he's a guy Miami's going to have to limit uh, and a guy who uh, they're going to, you know, have to have to just protect and scheme around. I will say the one thing uh, that I think if I'm Miami and Dan Eaters, I try to attack him with my tight ends. Uh, I think he gave up a, a touchdown in coverage to the Gamecocks. So he's a guy that will also kind of drop back uh, and cover some guys. So if I'm Miami, I, I try to run at him and, and not expose him, but make it so he's not rushing the quarterback on, on every play. Yeah, and I think, you know, it is interesting in, in my opinion that um... – I think both these guys that we've highlighted are older guys on UNC that did not play uh, last year against Miami in that. I I totally forgot about those suspensions. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think Toman Fox definitely was one of those uh, Jordan shoe selling suspensions that North Carolina had. I don't know if Crawford was. I think maybe Crawford might have been injured. Uh but anyways, both those guys did not play against Miami for whatever reason last year. Uh, now, would it have made a difference in a 47-10 to 10 type of game? No. Uh, that game just got out of control. But, you know, these are new ga- new names maybe for Miami fans because those two guys weren't on the field for North Carolina last year. And so, like, in that game. And so I think if you're unfamiliar with that, and expect that same North Carolina team to be on the field this week, it's not going to be the case. Like The talent will be improved from last year just from the fact that uh, North Carolina will have those Jordan Shoe guys back, of course, and Aaron Crawford. I I think he was injured. I'm not sure, but he's gonna. he didn't play last year either, and he'll be on the field this week too. All right, let's move to key matchups. I'll give you my key matchup before yours. My key matchup for Saturday night, Jonathan Garvin going against UNC offensive tackle Charlie Heck. Heck has started 23 games over the past two seasons, I guess past two seasons in a week, primarily at right tackle. 
North Carolina's flipped him over to the left side because they had a guy leave for the NFL. Heck is someone who had a brother and a dad both play in the NFL. Um, you read some of the scouting reports. Uh, people think he's the guy who probably has a chance to play in the league as well. The one thing that I did notice when I was kind of doing my research on him last year against Miami, he actually played his worst game or one of the worst games of, of his career, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. And I just think if Miami uh, is going to – they need to put pressure on, on Sam Howell. They're going to have to um, make him make some uncomfortable decisions. And I think John Garvin is a guy who's going to have to be – kind of lead the charge there. Uh, Garvin, you know, he had three pressures on 26 pass rushes against Florida. I think that's that's a good number. I don't think it's great. Um so I'm interested to see if he's someone who can take advantage of of Heck. I like that one. Mine is also a defensive matchup. Mine's going to be uh, the strikers. I guess I'll just say Romeo Finley uh, against this North Carolina air raid type of offense. Um, you know, the striker position was created at Miami because of these style of offenses where you need to get those hybrid type of players on the field that can cover and help support the run because this North Carolina offense, Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator really looks to spread you out in the passing game, spread you out wide. And when they run the ball, they run the ball downhill kind of between the tackles, which I think is, it's kind of a, a fun marriage uh, it's my favorite version of the air raid to watch because I like uh, the dichotomy of spreading them out in a passing game, but we're still going to hammer you with a downhill running game. I think that's hard for a lot of defenses to try and handle. Um, so anyways, I think, you know, having those type of guys, those Romeo Finley types on the field is, is the best way to defend this type of offense. Uh, North Carolina is going to throw the ball a lot horizontally uh, they're going to run a lot of kind of jet sweep looks and so Romeo Finley is going to have to play the alley and run out into space quickly and tackle which you know for the most part Miami did well against those looks uh, with Florida they did give up that 65 yard 66 yard touchdown to Kadarius Tony, and that was really the only poor tackling moment of the game for Miami to be honest Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> don't, don't tell everyone on social media that. We keep hearing about how this team tackled poorly. No, I mean, <laughs> it is true. Like, the coaches keep pointing it out, and I agree. Like, in that, on that play, there was honestly, like, three or four missed tackles on that play alone, which is crazy. But for the rest of the game, it really wasn't that bad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a guy like Romeo Finley, I, I personally think Romeo played well against Florida. Last year, he had... I know it's a totally different North Carolina team, but uh, Romeo had that pick six against North Carolina last year. So he came up big in that role against the Tar Heels last year. And, you know, they're going to need Romeo to play well again this week, too. I mean, can Miami please lean on him for, for snaps throughout the game? <laughs> it seems yeah. like sometimes that, that defensive rotation just gets so weird. I, I mean... I, I thought Frierson, I think we said this on our previous podcast, played pretty well against Florida, but it's like... Yeah. Dude, you got Romeo Finley, who's played in these games. I mean, give him give him the, the snaps. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough line to, to walk, I guess, from a coaching standpoint. You know, they want to play guys, but, 
you know, if you can't get the job done, then you don't deserve to be on the field. And Gilbert's Gilbert's uh, situation, like you said, I do feel like he played well most of the game. Uh, that long pass he kind of was in coverage with. I don't know what you want him to do in that situation. Like that's that's kind of a situation where it's like Florida lines up a really good receiver, runs a go route on you. You can't really yeah. expect Gilbert to cover that. Like I don't know if even Romeo Finley could have covered that. You know what I mean? So, right. um, yeah, I mean, look, I think the strikers, whether it is Romeo, whether it is Gilbert, they need to come up big in this game and, and tackle in space. Keys to the game. Uh, I think we've hit on this, or I have at least my key of the game, multiple times over the past 20 minutes. But for me, it's as obvious as it sounds. Miami's going to have to protect Jaron Williams. Uh, I was thinking about this on Wednesday when we were meeting with Jaron and the rest of the players. It's like, man, Jaron's first two starts are going to come in probably some of the most hostile environments he's going to see. I know the Florida game was split crowd, but it was still very loud. Uh, against an SEC defense there in Orlando. Now his second start comes on the road uh, at North Carolina. I think it's a sold-out uh, Keenan Memorial Stadium. I believe that's the, that's the name of it. I think I've covered a few yeah. games there. Can't, can't even remember it. Uh, Miami's just going to have to protect him. And, and we touched on this at length at the beginning of the podcast, but UNC has a, a strong defensive front. 17 pressures on 64 snaps against South Carolina that resulted in in four sacks. I think while we can talk about the offense alignment and you know them doing their jobs, getting the, the, their tasks and assignments done, I think one of the keys that will help them do that is running the ball and not getting off yeah. schedule like the offense did against Florida when they were down. I think if Miami's able to run its script – do its own plays, get get positive yardage on first and second down, like we saw in the first half against Florida, it's going to make things a lot easier uh, for everyone else. Yeah, so my key is a similar line of thinking. Um, I'm not necessarily putting it on the offensive line. I'm, I'm more so putting it on Jaron. Like, I think... I'm not sure how good this offensive line is ever going to be this year, right? Like, I do think they'll get better, but are they ever going to be good? I don't know. No, no. So I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's, they're not going to be all ACC level. Right. So within that context, my point is I just feel like Jaron needs to get better at learning how to navigate the situation. So he's going to be under pressure. Uh, it's not going to be fun. But he still has to find a way to get the playmakers the ball in space. And I think that's, like, honestly, this North Carolina game, in my opinion, is kind of like a very nice barometer for what the rest of the season's going to be. Like, if Jaron can get that ball out quick to Jeff Thomas in space, K.J. Osborne in space, Brevin Jordan, and, and they are able to then generate big plays after the catch— I think you feel good about their ability to do that for the majority of their ACC schedule. Because, look, they're not going to be facing Florida-level defenders, personnel, defense for the rest of the year. So if this Miami offense can get loose against North Carolina, which that potential is there. Like, they're, they're not going to be able to run with Miami skill players. The question is, will Jaron be able to navigate the pressure that is— definitely going to come 
and, and feed those playmakers the ball. And I, if if that happens, then I think Miami wins, you know, fairly comfortably. If that doesn't happen, then Miami's going to be in a dogfight. I, I love that point, and kind of goes back to Jaron's self-assessment on on Wednesday. I think he was asked, I don't know, I can't remember about it, it was who, and he talked about how he felt like he missed some throws. Um, yeah, especially everyone keeps talking about that first drive when he missed that Jeff Thomas. I think it was on a dig or or right. something like that. But no, that, that's a great point. I mean, is this offense going to have to grind it out or are they going to come out? Or are they going to expose mismatches and is it going to be pedal to the metal? I mean, we really don't know based on what we saw against Florida. I think you're hoping it's a lot like what we saw in those first couple of drives when they got Brevin Jordan the ball and. There was the, the jet sweep to K.J. Osborne, and they were, they were getting people in space. If we can see that for four quarters, I think it's a great sign moving forward. But, but if they yes. um, find a situation, if it gets to a point where it's like that's gone, and then we're just going wildcat, wildcat, you know, Tate Martell package, and then I think it's uh, a bit of a bad sign. Would you not agree with that? I do agree. And I think, like, this North Carolina game is going to give us a really good idea what this team is going to be this year. So if Miami handles their business, wins fairly comfortably, you know, I'll be ready to jump on board with the 10-win thing. Like, I think that could definitely happen. If this game is kind of a slog on offense and they can't find a rhythm and everything's kind of a struggle, then, yeah, I think, you know, even if they win against North Carolina, I think you're looking at, like, you know, which I think is perfectly acceptable for a first-year head coach, you know, an eight win type of year, but right no, there's a, that's... there's a big difference between eight and 10 wins. You know what I mean? And it would definitely be a nice sign if the offense kind of gets clicking a little bit against this North Carolina level defense, because like I said, this North Carolina level defense is more so what Miami will see the rest of the year rather than that Florida defense. Uh, I mean, I absolutely love this take. It's, is it going to be the same feeling in these games? Go back to the game two years ago against North Carolina where I think they had hit the long Jeff Thomas pass. I mean, that, that bailed uh-huh. out the offense. Is that what it's going to take for Miami to win this, or is it going to be consistent, long, sustained drives? Because Miami hasn't really seen that in a very long time, and I think everyone's hoping Dan Enos is that guy. So that's a that's probably a, one of the top underlying story storylines for this game, I think. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, look, I think you give Miami a pass for that Florida game, but in my mind, there's no more passes moving forward because, and look, man, I'm not trying to like blow this game to be bigger than what it is, blow it up, but like, man, I think this is a huge game for Manny Diaz in terms of like getting recruiting momentum going, getting the season momentum going. Uh, If they drop this game, it's going to be a huge blow to the team in my mind because... You know, I know fans don't want to hear it, but honestly, the goal for this year is Coastal Division. Like, that has to be the goal. And if you can't beat this North Carolina team, who can you expect to beat uh, in the Coastal Division the rest of the year? You know, I mean, I just feel like every game's going to be a struggle and a dogfight, uh, kind of like how it was last year, to be honest. So it'll be interesting. I, I'm hoping... I'm definitely hoping that the offense clicks, finds its rhythm, game two, and, and things take off. All right, moving to pl- potential players of the game. Uh, you know, in these preview podcasts, we're hoping to do one on offense, one on defense. 
my potential player of the game, uh, same. I think I don't know what I, I don't know if I said him uh, before the Florida game, but he was definitely a potential player of the game. DJ Dallas on offense. I think if Miami's going to win this game, they got to get him going. Um, yeah. And and so it's just simple as that. I think he has the potential to have a very big game. He came up big against Florida. I don't see why he shouldn't have a similar type of impact against North Carolina. Mine. I'm going to go with, uh, like, I just think it's so important to get this guy going on offense. And if they get him going, look out. And I'm going with Jeff Thomas. And obviously, he had a bad game against Florida. You know, you could argue that his drops, both the punt and the touchdown, were the reasons why Miami lost the game. And that's probably fair. Uh, But I think Miami has to find a way to get him the ball. And I think they will do that against North Carolina, and if they do, good things are going to happen. And, you know, Jeff is a guy who needs confidence, in my opinion. Like, he's a guy that... He always seems to be someone who's head down if he makes a bad play, right? Yes. And so it's important to get him going, get that confidence up, and I think once that happens, you see he can make freaky plays. Like, you know, last year against LSU, he was making NFL receiver type catches with his body control timing jumping and i just want to see that jeff come back and and kind of see that jeff for the rest of the year because he is a a very intriguing talent and if i'm dan enos you know in addition obviously you got to get brevin jordan go and all that stuff but if i'm dan enos i am trying to do everything i can to feed jeff thomas the ball and I think we saw a little bit of that against against Florida. I mean, there was more short, intermediate routes yeah. to him. Um, and I, I know we, before the season even started, we kind of clamored for that or we asked for that, and they, they did it. I just think eventually it kind of got away from them uh, when it was just straight dropbacks. So hoping, hopefully, I think I think that's a good one. I think they we probably will see them try to get him involved on a quick screen, uh, run a slant, something short and intermediate, build that confidence, and then – you know, not just throw long balls to him all game like the previous offensive staff. And I think, too, like if you want to make the trade off of, OK, we're going to take you off punt, but we're going to make more of an emphasis on feeding you the ball on offense. I think that's a trade off Jeff would take and that's a trade off I would take, too. Well, I'm very interested to see if he returns punts. I think you could <laughs> given what happened. I would. not. Yeah. You you would change him or you wouldn't? I would change. I would change that. I would put KJ back there just as a like. Obviously, Jeff is more dynamic, but I would put KJ back there. Like it's a road game. You can't have those kind of mess ups in a road game. So, I would put KJ Osborne back there as kind of the sure-handed. You know, I mean Braxton was good, but he was mainly like a sure-handed, reliable type of punt returner, and I think KJ would be that same type of guy. This is like going to be a weird tangent, but my thing is if if KJ Osborne's the guy you feel most confident uh, sending to re- meet with reporters um, the week of the game, if KJ Osborne's the guy that you fly to Charlotte uh, for ACC media days, why isn't he the guy returning punts? I get it, Jeff Thomas is electric, but I, I it's just and and he's not the best with the media but like if this is the guy you're the most confident with as a as an individual why not have him return the punts i mean you need someone confident right. back there and i think kj every time i'm around him he just 
breathes that level of confidence. And my thing too is like, look, on it, like it's kind of an issue for Jeff. Like he he had that same like muff against Georgia Tech last year, right? So, you know, it it's an issue for Jeff and KJ. I think can get the job done, and so I would roll with KJ there. All right, your potential player of the game on defense. Who is it? Well, I, I guess I already kind of touched on it, but I'm going to go Romeo Finley. I felt like, you know, as I touched on earlier, he's the key matchup. And I think, obviously, now that I think he's player of the game, I think he'll step up and perform at a very high level. So I am a Romeo Finley fanboy, if you haven't noticed already. And <laughs> Let's get you a jersey. Let's go. 30. Let's go. So, yeah, I think he's I, I do think he's underrated, to be honest. Um, and I think he'll step up and have a good game against North Carolina. Mine is Jonathan Ford. Uh, I think Manny Diaz brought him up on Wednesday. Finally, really the first time anyone's kind of spoken highly of him. I think it was on the 560 WQAM's Joe Rose show. For some yeah. reason, Joe asked him who you know graded out well for about a game nine days ago or whatnot. But he mentioned Jonathan Ford, and I think me and you both kind of said how we thought he had a good game. And mm-hmm. I think one of the keys, Shaq Quarterman kind of brought this up while talking about it, is that Miami's got to stop that run and, and force Sam Howell to beat them. I think that starts right in right in those A and B gaps, and I think Jonathan Ford's the guy. Uh, interesting kind of matchup, I think, when I was looking at uh, the two deep there for North Carolina. Ed Montoulis, a redshirt yeah. freshman guard, is, is starting. And if that name sounds familiar for all you uh, diehard recruiting fans, that's because he is – uh, a guy Miami kind of kicked the tires on a little bit. Stacy Searles never really wanted to pull the trigger, which right. is hilarious because now he's starting for Stacy Searles at, at North Carolina. And he's actually starting over William Barnes, who was uh, the top 100 recruit his teammate. So um, I, I, I liked Ed. I do not think Ed is a guy who can contain uh, Jonathan Ford on uh Saturday night. I mean, I think he's a guy who's probably still a few years away. So uh, that's one one guy I think who, who could have a very, very big game. Hopefully maybe even like a yeah. Gerald Willis-type performance we saw last year against Pitt or or uh, LSU. I like that. I mean, just from like a, like if Ed Montillas and John Ford are standing next to each other, like John Ford is a much more impressive frame, much bigger guy. So just from a pure physical standpoint, you would think John should – win that matchup more times than not. I want to touch, I want to ask you, Andrew, like against Florida, that defensive line rotation was pretty tight. Do you think that's going to open up some against North Carolina? Like, are we going to see, for instance, at defensive tackle, not necessarily subbing in for John Ford, but subbing in for Pat Bethel, maybe. Are we going to see more Chigoze and Aruka uh, on the edge? Are we going to see more Trevon Hill and, and Greg Rousseau? What, what do you... What do you expect to see with the rotation on the D-line against North Carolina? I think they open up and open it up a bit. I mean, I have no idea. We haven't heard anything in that department, but I would expect them to just kind of open it up. I think with Chigoze and, and Trayvon Hill, what someone did tell me is they're still trying to get in football shape, and I initially didn't know what to make of that. I think it was more, though, if we want them to get used to how we sub in maybe or, or, or something like that, and I just think they wanted to go to the guys they could rely on. And I think, what, Chikose and Trayvon played about 15 snaps. I think yeah. the number probably gets up around 20, 25. I would hope. Um, yeah. I also hope they get more of Greg Russo in there, man. I, yeah. I loved him in that. He made an impact. Kind of move, yeah, how they 
especially on third down. I mean, if they're in a third down situation, get him in the game. So I expect yeah. him to open it up. What about you? Yeah, Greg Russo to me is a guy that got to get in the game more. And, you know, he had, I believe he was the one who had this, the only sack on Felipe, right? He did. And, he uh, did. It was he might have even, down. he might have even missed one, right? Like he did in the game yeah. too. So, you know, he was getting to the quarterback and look, Felipe's a tough guy to bring down. So, but yeah, I mean, I think I would definitely like to see Greg get to that like 20 to 25 snap count mark. I wouldn't, you know, it's not because Garvin and Patchen didn't play well. They played very well. I just think you got to find a way to get Russo on the field more. This is my favorite uh, segment of our preview podcast. Miami wins the game <laughs> if, for me, Miami wins the game if the Hurricanes rush for over 200 yards. All right, I know that's that's a huge number. It's a big number, right? But I think Miami definitely can do it against this UNC defense. Tar Heels let six of eight ACC opponents last year run for 200 plus yards. I know they've changed head coaches, they changed defensive schemes, but they really haven't changed a bunch of personnel uh, against Power Five teams. They gave up. 5.21 yards per carry. On the flip side, Miami's 14 and 1 in their last 15 games where they've run for over 200 yards. The loss was that rain-soaked game against Duke last season. I mean, yeah. I know obviously when you're winning the game, you're running the ball more, but it seems like that's kind of the magical number for this offense and I think Miami has a chance to do it. I, I love DJ Dallas. I know everyone wants to keep worrying about Lorenzo Lingard and when he's going to come back, but Dude, give me Cam Harris. You know, give me that one-two punch. I think they can yeah. definitely do it. Um, so, I, I I touched on it earlier. I think they got to run the ball to take some pressure off Jaron Williams and, and get him some protection. So, if, if they can hit over 200 yards, I think they absolutely win this game. I like that. My key, or Miami wins the game if, is uh, the opposite on the other side of the ball. So, mine is Miami just has to stop the run. Um you know, North Carolina runs this air raid offense, but they do really want to establish the run. Against South Carolina, they finished with 52 carries and had 238 yards. Their leading rusher was Javante Williams, who had 102 yards. And, you know, they ran the ball even though they were down for the majority of the game. It's not like they got the lead and were just running the ball to, to grind out the clock. Um, this is kind of what they want their offense to be. So I think from Miami standpoint, you're going up against a freshman quarterback. Um, as you alluded to with Jaron, the best friend of a quarterback is a run game. So if Miami can take away North Carolina's run game, make North Carolina one dimensional, make it so that Sam Howell has to win the game, uh, in obvious passing situations, I think that plays to uh, the strength of Miami's defense. And I think it's going to be, if that happens, like if Miami can make North Carolina one-dimensional and have to really depend on the pass, then I think Miami can win big, to be honest. I think Miami can win comfortably. Well, you, you, that's, that leads right into the next our, our next thing, score prediction. What do you think the score is going to be on, uh, on Saturday night? This is tough, man. It's been like, okay, one thing that's interesting, like it feels like it's been so long since Miami played Florida, right? Like it's only been like two weeks, but it's like, man, it seems like it's been so long ago. But anyways, so um, my prediction, I guess I'm saying Miami 30, North Carolina 24. 
I think Miami's offense is going to get it going. Uh, you know, they scored 20 points against a pretty good Florida defense. I think they can get to 30 against a North Carolina defense. That's that looked pretty good against South Carolina, but I don't think it's on the same level as Florida. Um, and then, you know, 24 points, North Carolina is going to get some, going to get some scores, going to get some touchdowns with, with what they do on offense. And so I think Miami wins by six, 30 to 24. I'm I'm just as close, or I should say I, I'm just predicting a closer game. I, I got Miami 24 to to 21. I, for some reason, you know, I, I I don't know if I'm sipping the Kool Aid from what North Carolina did against South Carolina, but this just has the feelings yeah. of a close game. I I don't know I why, but it just seems like this one's going to be a grinded out type style. Now, we we alluded to it earlier on the podcast. I mean. If Miami's able to get this offense going, they should absolutely stomp North Carolina. I just, I'm not believing it until I see it. So right. uh, until until then, I, I think it's going to be a close one. Um, I, I got I got it 24-21. I think it's going to be a low score. Uh, I think both offenses are going to struggle, and I think both defenses are probably going to make some plays. So I just think it's it feels like a close game, just given the time slot, uh, the national attention, uh, the sellout crowd. The fact that this is Jaron Williams' first road start, this is the first road game, real true, I should say true road game under Manny Diaz, it just seems like this one's going to be tight. I think if you really just wanted to simplify it, this game, I think we would both agree it comes down to Miami's O-line. Like if they play against, if they perform against North Carolina how they did against Florida, it's going to be a tight toss-up game. Who knows? If they improve then yeah, Miami probably wins. If they really improve, Miami wins big. Yeah, love it. All right, best bet. What do you got, best bet? Yeah, I don't know, man. I, <laughs> oh, oh, well, oh, I missed the, last time, right? Like, man, yeah. I don't know. So, so I, the current no, here go me, me go. The, the current line, according to Vegas Insiders consensus, is Miami minus four. The total is at forty-seven and a half. That opened at fifty-one. Apparently, sometime at like 3 a.m. On, on Thursday morning, the line was down to three and a half. But I guess someone woke up and it got bet back up to four. Uh, so what are you thinking? Honestly, so obviously my prediction would be uh, Miami uh, minus four and then the over, right? So of those, yeah. I pro- honestly, I probably feel better about the over. So I would just... I, like my best bet would probably be the over. Oof, got a little crossfire here. My best bet's the under. Ooh. I don't know why. I just the under has gone, or I should say, the total has gone under in Miami's last eight games. Wow. And North Carolina's uh, past nine home games has gone under seven of them. So if you're a trend better, wow, that's the way to go. But isn't that, isn't that amazing? It, the past eight games, it's gone under. That's those are some good stats. And if I hear that stat. I would not have <laughs> what I just said. So, <laughs> Well, that should do it for uh, this podcast uh, for previewing uh, North Carolina. David, you got anything else before we uh, wrap this thing up? No, you know, like you said at the start, you know, if you enjoy this podcast, come visit our website, uh, InsideTheU.com. You know, I think, like you said, we have great content every day, fun content news content recruiting stuff too so 
check it out. Hang out on the site on Saturday on game day. Uh, we have a live updates thread where a lot of the fans interact and talk the game. And I think it's fun. So, yeah, give, give the website out a try, too, if you enjoy this podcast. Uh, definitely check it out on Saturday. I'm going to have a bunch of recruiting stuff up. IMG Academy traveling to the 305 to take on Miami Northwestern. Uh, a ton of like five Miami commits playing in that game, a ton of top targets. So Saturday pregame while you're sitting around uh, firing up the grill, be sure to check out the site. And uh, that'll do it, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.